Welcome to Desert City Church's podcast. Thanks for listening in. What you are about to hear is a sermon given live at one of our Sunday gatherings. We are a new church serving neighborhoods on the edge of North Phoenix and Scottsdale, Arizona. Our sermons are ongoing conversations around a sacred text or scripture in which we find the story of Jesus. We hope they inspire you to love God and others more. If we can serve you in any way or answer any questions about our community, please don't hesitate to ask. You can find out more info at DesertCityChurch.com. My name's Tyler. I, I've really only been here about three and a half months, um, but we have loved every bit of it. We've loved being here. We've made a ton of new friends, and um, feels like we've been here forever. And so I just want to say thank you first to you guys for welcoming us in so well, and especially right here. You guys have welcomed us in. Um, and so, yeah, thank you. Uh, I know it's, it's not always easy to make friends. Um, I know that especially because uh, I had a hard time making friends when I was in high school. You, you might look up here and see a guy in a pretty cool plaid shirt and <laughs> joggers, which is pretty hip, and you might think like, wow, you know, he was probably really cool in high school and really cool in middle school, um, and you would be really wrong about that. Um, I had a hard time in middle school and high school. Uh, and maybe this has something to do with it. This is, this is my driver's license picture. Yeah, look at that hair. I was doing good. As you can see, 5'11", 135. I was lean, I was a lean kid. Um, in my sophomore year, uh, that, that actually was my sophomore year, my sophomore year, uh, of, of high school, we moved. Uh, my family moved from California to Arizona, and so I was in this new school. I didn't know anyone, uh, and I had a really tough time making friends. Um, I, I don't know why. I think I, I was a pretty shy kid, um, but I remember the worst, the worst thing about moving to a new school is lunchtime. So in your classes, you know, you can get in there, and you can get your work done, and um, you can kind of talk to people while you're in your classes, but lunchtime, it's like you got to make a decision who you're going to sit with, who you're going to be. Lunch kind of designates that. And I remember um, for the first few weeks, I had no one to sit with, and I didn't want to sit by myself at one of the tables and, and be like the weird guy who sat by himself and everyone's wondering what he's doing. So what I would do, I would go uh, to the bathroom, and I would sit on the toilet, and I would eat my lunch by myself. Oh, I know. It's really sad. And uh, actually, you know, when you eat lunch by yourself, it takes about five minutes. And then you have about 35 minutes to kill for the rest of lunch. And I didn't want to sit in the bathroom for 35 minutes. So what I would do is I would, I would get up, put my backpack on, and I would walk to one side of the school. And then I would turn around. And I would walk back to the other side of the school and then do it again, over and over and over. So I wanted to pretend like I was going somewhere. Um, I wanted people to see me and think, oh, he's got it's not like he's just walking by himself. He's, he's on his way somewhere. And so I would do that every lunch uh, for probably two or three weeks. Uh, I, I would eat in the bathroom, walk by myself. Um, and finally, I remember one day, um, someone decided to be generous to me. Someone decided to do something for me. Um, and it really changed a, a lot of things for me. It, it changed this whole situation for me. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is we're talking about generosity. Um, our kind of guiding scripture that we're going through is 1 Timothy 
chapter 6, uh, verse 18, and it says this, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Um, and, and so last week, uh, Jared talked about the B part, to be generous. What does that mean, to be generous? He kind of had the three R's. Um, we're generous relationally, so when we get to know people is how we can be generous to them. We can meet their needs. We need to be in relationship to know their needs. Um, we're generous rhythmically, this idea of tithing, this idea of, okay, it's a set-up thing in my life that there's a rhythm to my giving. I give um, on, uh, in this rhythmic way. And then the last part he had was this radical giving. Um, and, and that's kind of what I'm going to focus on here. Um, is this idea of radical giving. And the, and the reason uh, we're talking about generosity is not to try to get people to give more. We're talking about generosity because I really believe that it's maybe one of the most powerful traits of a Christian, of a believer, is, the, is a believer's generosity. This idea of no-strings-attached generosity. Um, in the first century church, Really, the hallmark of the church, the, the thing that set it apart, was that Christians were generous. They had this no-strings-attached generosity. And in the, the early church, Christians were not wealthy. Christians were not well-educated. Christians were not the people that everyone wanted to be like. It wasn't like their, their theology was like the, the thing that everyone was after. What really set them apart was their generosity. What made them a force that people couldn't ignore was how generous um, they would be. That's what gave them leverage in the first century. There's a story um, about this guy named Pacomius. Uh, and, and this is in the first century church. And um, Rome at the time has conquered tons and tons of countries. And what they would do is they would conquer a country, and then they would draft all the young men into the army. They would draft them all into the Roman army. And what would often happen is when they would draft these foreign men into the army, uh, the men would flee because they didn't want to fight for this country that really wasn't their own country. They didn't want to fight for these people that really weren't their own. And so they would draft these guys in, um, get them into the army, and, and so many of them would flee. And so what they would do is they would take these men and uh, they would just throw them in jail. And, and so they would have to wait in jail to be, to be dragged out to go fight for Rome. And Pacomius, at 20 years old, he's one of these men. He's drafted in to jail, uh, waiting to go fight. And what happens is this famine hits the land um, where Pacomius lives. Famine strikes, and in that time, I don't think we, we could really ex even experience what it was to have famine um, here in the US, because we have so much. But, but when famine struck, people literally were dying of starvation. People just couldn't, there was nothing to eat. And so the first people who would starve, the first people who normally would have nothing to eat were the people in jail. I mean, you're not gonna waste your food on the people in prison, are you? You're gonna save it for yourself. You're gonna, you know, the last people that get served are the people in jail. So Pacomius, he's in jail, um, and, they, and they begin to starve. One morning he wakes up and there's food there. Um, another day goes by and he wakes up and the same thing happens. And these people continue to bring food. They continue to bring um, gifts to Pacomius in jail. And he has no clue who they are. Complete strangers start showing up, bringing these gifts to him. Um, and, 
he began to wonder, who are these people? Well, why are they doing this? He found out that they were the, these followers of the way, uh, what we know as Christians, these followers of the way. And so he, he gets out of jail. He fights for Rome. Um, and after his enlistment time is ended, he remembers these, these Christians that came and, and served him when no one else would, that kept him alive, literally, in jail. And he thought, you know, I'm going to seek them out. I'm going to see what, what's all about. What is this whole thing about? I mean, they're the most generous people I've ever met. And he seeks them out. Um, he, he learns about who Jesus is, and he buys in. He becomes one of the great leaders, um, one of the great leaders of the Christian movement at the time. And what it was, is it wasn't, it wasn't the theology of the Christians at the time. It wasn't that they were super, anything special other than super generous. And it completely transformed Pacomius's life. He became one of the leaders of the church. And the thing is, generosity can be so, so powerful, more powerful than almost anything in our life. Um, and it might not seem like one of the major themes of Scripture, but it really is. And I think um, when we talk about generosity, automatically, automatically we always think, oh, it's money. It's all about money. It's going to be a whole sermon on money this morning. And yes, there, there is a piece of generosity that has to do with money, but it's so much more than that. It's so much bigger than just what you do with your money. Um, Isaiah chapter 32, verse 8 says this, But generous people plan to do what is generous, and then they stand firm in their generosity. So there's, there's no talk of money in, in this at all. It says that genero generous people, they plan to do what is generous. It doesn't say that they plan to, to give generously this amount of money. It says they plan to do what is generous. I think generosity is so much more radical than just money, than just giving money. I think radical generosity is going to affect every part of our lives. And so what we're going to do this morning, we're going to focus on a text in Luke uh, in chapter 18. So if you have a Bible, you can open to that in Luke 18. And we're going to ask three questions and hopefully answer them. We're going to ask, what is the source of radical generosity? What's, what are the signs or the, the marks of radical generosity? And then what is the key to becoming a radically generous person? What's the key to it? So we're going to start in Luke 18, chapter 10. This is what it says. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, and the other, a tax collector. Now when I say the word tax collector, probably most of us think, ooh, bad. I don't like that. Maybe it sends a little shiver down your spine. Um, and if we've studied the Bible, we know that, okay, yeah, tax collectors were bad. They were bad people. Um, and I don't, think, I don't think we fully grasped how bad they were. I mean, like I said earlier, Rome was an occupying force, almost like a, like a Nazi Germany occupying these other countries. Um, and so they, they came in, they destroyed, they won, and that now they forced these people to pay them um, taxes. They forced the Israelites to pay them taxes. And so basically, they're making ends meet, 
and Rome is taking these huge chunks of money from them. And who did they get to do their dirty work? Who did they get to, to actually do the collecting of taxes? They used their own, the, the Israelites' own people against them. They got these Jewish men to become tax collectors. And, and they were almost seen as, the, as like the Nazi sympathizers, the capos in Nazi Germany, who, who were the Jewish people that kind of sold out their family, sold out their, their heritage, sold out their communities in order to, to get into a little better standing with this occupying force. And so that's exactly what tax collectors did. They, they became the most hated people of the day. And they did it because it paid. They could go in and they could demand as much money as they wanted because they have the force of Rome, of, of in the entirety of Rome behind them. And so they could say, OK, this is how much you're going to give me. And they became rich. And they were seen as greedy. And so here is this tax collector that people hate. People hated tax collectors, despised them. And then it says there's this Pharisee. Now, when we say uh, Pharisee, now normally, uh, you know, we know that, okay, Pharisee, that's kind of bad. That also gives us a bad taste in our mouth. But back, um, you know, in this original day, the original listeners, Pharisee wasn't really a bad term. Um, the Pharisees were actually kind of like the reformers of their time because originally there was these Sadducees, the, the religious elite. They're the ones who uh, were kind of on top of the game, and they were seen as fakers. They were seen as corrupt. Uh, there were empty suits, and no one liked them. And along came the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were the real deal. Man, the Pharisees, they were devout. And the Pharisees, they followed the law to the letter. And the Pharisees, man, they were so religious. They, they, they nailed it. They were not fakers like the Sadducees. And guess what else the Pharisees did? The Pharisees, they gave 10%. They tithed. In verse 12, it says, this is what the Pharisee is talking. He says, I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. This Pharisee, he gives away 10% of everything he owns, everything he has, everything he, that he brings in, he gives 10% of it away. So he's, he's pretty philanthropic. He's, he's a pillar of the community. I mean, people look up to this guy. He would be considered pretty generous, pretty admirable. So you have two people, one who's, who's really greedy and hated, and one who's, who's kind of a pillar of the community that's considered to be pretty generous on the surface. And what Jesus is going to do here is, is he's looking not at the outer appearance. He's going to take a look under the surface to what's really going on in the heart. Um, and really, this is kind of one of the themes of the Bible, is that God takes a look at the heart. I don't know. Um, in, in the Old Testament, in Samuel, 1 Samuel, Samuel is uh, about to go anoint the new king of Israel. And, and God tells him that he needs to go to Jesse's house to find this new king of Israel. So he shows up to Jesse's house and out march uh, a band of, of sons. There's a, there's a group of the, Jesse's sons that come out. And he knows that one of these sons is going to be the future king of Israel. And there's one son named Eliab who's very tall and good looking. He's got one of those knockout smiles. Um, I mean, like a Jewish version of Luke Shuline, I would say. It's kind of what I picture. Uh, he's just this good-looking guy that, on the outside, he's got it all together. 
And in Samuel 16, Samuel sees him, and it says this. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so that's, this is what's going to be happening right here uh, with Jesus, is looking at the tax collector, looking at the Pharisee. Everyone else sees the outward appearance, but Jesus is, is taking a look at the heart. So let's take a look at the prayer of the Pharisee. In verse 11, it says, The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like these other people, like these robbers or the, the evildoers or those adulterers. Or even like this tax collector, thank you that I'm not like these disgusting other people. Uh, it says, I fast twice and I give a tenth of all I get. I'm, I'm a, God, thank you that I'm awesome. This is essentially what he's saying. He's, um, and, and Jesus even points it out that he, he's praying to himself. He gets up here in front of God. He says, thank you, God. And you think he's going to follow with all the great things about God and what God's done for him. And instead he says, thank you, God that I'm so awesome, and that I, you know, I'm not like these bad people around here. This is a person with an open checkbook and a closed heart. This is a person who, who is technically generous, but is not radically generous to his core. He's not radically generous in his heart. Um, he's inwardly, he's proud, and he's grasping, and I think if you were to compare that to someone today, it would be someone who, who can give a lot of money. Maybe they give so much money that it affects the way they live. I mean, they give a lot of money. But they need a lot of praise and a lot of adoration and a lot of thanks. And they want people to know that they're giving. Everyone needs to know how much I gave. And they, and they use it to control people. And they, they use it to, to say, this. OK, I'm giving you this money, but this is how you have to use that. This is how it's going to be. This is what you're going to do with it. They hold things over people's head. See, the, we can be technically generous, but not radically generous. Um, on the other hand, we have this tax collector. And with him, something totally different is going on. Um, in verse 13, it says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And so here's this tax collector, this man on the outside who's greedy and hated. Something's going on in his heart and he begins to ask for God's generosity. Something is happening in him. Something is changing in him. And so this first question, what is the source of radical generosity? The source of radical generosity is not the wallet. The source of the radical generosity is not the checkbook. It's not the purse. The source of radical generosity is the heart. What's going on in the heart? So question two, that brings us to, so, so what are the signs of radical generosity? If we can't measure it by how much money someone gives away, well, what are the signs of true radical generosity? Well, right after this story of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, uh, in verse 15, it says this, People were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. 
But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. So, so here's Jesus, and all these kids are coming to him. And the disciples are like, start rebuking the children, start yelling at them, leave Jesus alone. And what's going on here, we could go into all the different facets of this verse. I mean, we could preach a whole sermon just on this verse. But I think the reason is directly after this, this part about the tax collector and the Pharisee is because here's these disciples. And these disciples are probably considered to be really generous. I bet you they tithe. I bet you, they, I mean, they've given up a lot to follow Jesus. But here comes these children. And they have this leader, and they have this leader that they want to leverage, that they want to use to, to do great things. And they want to get him in front of uh, other leaders, and they want to get him in front of famous people, and they want to get him in front of people with money, people with power, so that, man, Jesus' time is too important to spend on these kids. I mean, for Jesus to spend time with little kids who in that time really had no rights, for Jesus to spend time with them, that was, that was extravagant. Essentially, he's saying that, that's too generous, Jesus. So here we find these disciples who, who look also generous on the outside. They're, they've got this thing where they're not generous towards kids. They, they, they think that Jesus' time is too important for them. And so we can't measure generosity in money. Um, but I think there's other currencies of generosity. And if you think, what, what is a currency? Currency, uh, obviously here in the United States, we've got the dollar. You go down south, you got the peso. If you go to Europe, you got the euro, the pound in um, the UK. I don't even know where. Probably most of the UK. Um, but so you've got all these different currencies. And, and really, all currency is is uh, a means of transferring value. So when it comes to being generous, I believe that there's currencies of generosity. Um, and I'll give you some examples. Uh, I think emotion, you're being generous with emotional space is a currency of generosity. So there might be some people that are very happy to, to write a check for some cause. They're very happy to, to give money towards uh, a new building, or they're very happy to give money towards a new thing. But don't, I don't want to have to get involved in it. I don't want to have to go and meet new people and, and take all the emotional toll that it takes to, to be a part of something like this. You know, I'm kind of an introvert, so I don't, you know, this is not really my thing. I like my privacy. My privacy is my thing. And, and so suddenly, privacy, privacy is the currency that is more valuable to you than money. Uh, another one could be your physical space. This is just really hospitality. And there's people who, who would much rather write a check, but, oh, gosh, don't, don't walk on my rug. Like, please don't ruin my house. Like, this is my space. This is where I live. I, don't, I really don't want to have to have people over and they'll wreck my stuff. And suddenly our, our physical space, too, can become a currency that, that we can hold too tightly to. Another one that I think is huge is this idea of relational currency. Um, I, I really think there's this personal, relational economy that goes on. And there's really two types of people that owe you in the world. 
people that you have done a lot for. I mean, there's some people out there that you, you've done a lot for them. Like, I mean, a lot for these kind of people, right? And then there's people that have done pretty bad things to us. There's people that, that have kind of messed us over a few times and, and left us out to dry and left us hanging and hurt us. And both of these people are people that owe you. And people that, okay, now I can start to hold stuff over their head. And this is like a, I scratched your back, you better scratch mine. We start to get this hierarchy in our head of, of wow, this person really owes me. But the thing is, when we're radically generous, we don't get to live like that. We don't get to punish people or hold things over people. We don't, we don't get to, to, do, to hold any accounts with others. So do you forgive? Forgiveness really comes down to a heart of generosity. Are you generous relationally with other people? I think time is a huge one. We all know time is one of these things that is hard to be generous. There's only a certain amount of time. With money, you know what? I could always go get more money. We could always figure out a way to, to have more money. But with time, that's finite. That's, you know, our time here on Earth. We only have so many years. I can't get that back. If I'm going to give my time to someone, there's a ton of people who, who are so grasping over their time. They're so ungenerous with their time. I don't want any interruptions. I've got my schedule, and you can't butt into my schedule. This is you know, my time. And suddenly, time can become a currency in which we aren't generous. Um, so when I was in high school, I think I needed generosity, but not, not in the currency of money. Uh, I met a guy named Danny who uh, finally, one day, came up and, and said, like, hey, where do you eat lunch? You want to eat with us? Uh, Danny could have come up to me and given me $1,000, and that would have been worth nothing compared to him just asking me to sit with them. D Danny decided to be relationally generous to me. He decided to be generous to take a step out and say, oh, I'll waste some of my time on you. And I, you know what? I was pretty awkward. It was pretty uncomfortable to be around. I mostly followed him around for the next couple months. Um, and I, I know it costs something. It costs something to be generous. It costs a lot more oftentimes to be generous relationally than it does to be generous with money. Funny thing is, same guy also kept very strict records of how much money I owed him. So maybe it's like a hand-in-hand -hand thing. You write it down in a little piece of paper in his wallet. But uh, uh, th that completely started to change my life. When, when someone was radically generous to me, it started to do something in me. It started to change something in me. Um, I think if we are radically generous, it's going to infect every area of our life. It's not going to be, oh, I'm only, I'm only generous in these two, two spots, but I can't be generous here. This is my thing I got to hold on to. I think if we're radically generous, it's going gonna, it's gonna to infect all the areas. It's going to be pervasive through it all. And so what, what is the key to being like that? What is the key to being pervasively generous in every area of your life? Uh, I think we kind of find it in the tax collector's prayer. He, he says this, the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. He beat his breast, and he says this, God. 
Have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. He says these words, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. This, the word mercy used here uh, in the New Testament, pretty much every time that the word mercy is used is this Greek word elios. Um, it's this idea of uh, having loving compassion on someone. Uh, but here, in this, uh, in this use of the word, they're actually using the word holestrion. And now holestrion only appears two times in the New Testament. And this idea of holestrion is, is not uh, loving compassion as much as it is really appropriation, um, like a propitiation. It's a, it's a payment that's being made for you. And so um, in the Old Testament, uh, there was the Holy of Holies. So the Holy of Holies were, was the place where the literal spirit of God dwelt. And in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, in the Ark of the Covenant is where they kept the Ten Commandments. And no one could go into the Holy of Holies except for once a year, the high priest would be able to go into this Holy of Holies. Um, and if you went in any other time, it killed you. No one could stand uh, under that. No one could stand in the Holy of Holies except for the high priest once a year. And so on Yom Kippur, uh, the high priest, they would sacrifice these animals and they would come into the Holy of Holies and on top of, uh, on top of the Ark of the Covenant was this kind of golden seat this golden plate, and it kind of shielded the, the um, high priest from the, the Ark of the Covenant. And that seat uh, was called the mercy seat. And in the Greek version of the Old Testament, they call that seat holestrion. And so what the, the high priest would do is he'd come in and he would sprinkle the blood of the sacrificed animal onto the, to the mercy seat, to the holestrion. And, and that allowed, uh, that made it so that people were right with God for a year. That this sacrifice has been paid, the blood has been spilled, it's been poured onto this mercy seat. And so now for the next year, the people of God uh, are, are made right with God through this sacrifice. And so what is actually happening when the tax collector, he says, Lord, have mercy on me, have holestrion on me, is he's saying, Lord, I need your sacrifice. I need your appropriation. I need the blood that is spilled onto the mercy seat for me. The word holestrion shows up one other time in the New Testament in Hebrews 2. It says, For this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he may become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make holestrion for the sins of the people. That he may, might make holestrion. This, the, the word that's used um, in the English is atonement, or propitiation. That he may atone for the sins of the people. See, God, he, he is generous with his very life. life. So generous. Gen- I mean, generous to the point of death on a cross for us. And this tax collector, he sees that generosity, he sees his need for that generosity. 
And he sees that God, in his generosity, has bought us something that no amount of money could ever buy. He's bought us eternal life with his, with his generosity. And, and when he looks at this radical generosity of Jesus, he is transformed. Um, there's, there's a story right after this of another tax collector named Zacchaeus. Um, and Zacchaeus, he's a wee little man, and God sees, Jesus sees him. He says, I'm going to come and have lunch at your house today. And so he goes over to Zacchaeus' house, and something happens while he's there. And Zacchaeus comes out completely transformed. And he says, you know what? I'm going I'm to give all my money back, all the money. I, and you know what? The money I stole from people, I'm going to pay it back four times over. See, the generosity that he encounters in Jesus transforms and is mirrored in his own generosity. You know, when Danny was generous with me, that, that started making me question things. started making me think, like, what's, what's different about this guy? What's, what's going on? Um, there, was a, there was a mirroring of God's generosity in him that started to pique my interest in God. It started to transform me into being more and more like Christ. And then when I came to know the generosity of Christ, now I'm called to be generous. I'm called to mirror that same generosity that, that Jesus had for us. So as the band comes up, uh, and, and we take the bread and wine, uh, when we take communion, we take it because we recognize that we are in need of God's helestrion, of his generosity, of his atonement. In taking uh, the bread and wine, we're saying, look, I, I could never buy this myself, but you've given it to me in your immense generosity. And so as we take it, I, I, I think that what we ought to do is ask ourselves, where are the areas, where are the currencies in my life that I'm not being generous in? What are the currencies that I'm holding on too tightly to? What are the things that I just won't give away? Because God's generosity, it, it's the key to making us generous. And if we, if we see it and if we focus on it, it's going to transform us in every area of our life, every currency of our life. Um, yeah, let's pray. Lord, thank you for your generosity. That you spilled your blood on the mercy seat for us. You made, you made it right. You were generous to, to death on a cross. And as we take this bread, just your body broken for us, and, and this wine, just your blood or juice that is your blood poured out for us, Lord. I pray that we would, we would recognize your true generosity and that it would transform us like it did Zacchaeus, like it did this tax collector who came before you and asked for forgiveness. That's what we do this morning, Lord. We ask for forgiveness for wherever we've fallen short for wherever we have been not generous, wherever we've held too tightly. Lord, we ask that you would transform us more and more into your image, that we would mirror your generosity in this world, because it's such a powerful thing for people to see. It's in your name we pray. Amen.